You're listening to a podcast from West Wind Church. For more information, visit our website at westwindchurch.org. take a moment just to pray as we continue in worship, but to celebrate. This morning has been fun. Um, Not only did these group of people up here kind of get that little rhythm thing going on, and Scott with his little fingering kind of lead thing on his acoustic guitar got me all like happy. Uh, And so just, but such a special moment. And it wasn't even what was being led from up front, but is your voices. There's something about it for me when I hear God's church sing and respond back to him. It just takes me to a place that I just don't want to preach, honestly. I just want to continue doing that. Um, and maybe someday I will just do that and just call it and, and run with it. But, but really, I just love to be able to celebrate, celebrate child dedications, whom, by the way, if he's a mover and shaker like that at home, praying for you, Druckers, a whole lot. Um, but this is celebrate all that God's doing in our church and what he's moving us forward. So can we just take a moment? And I'm just going to give us a quick moment of silence. And this is going to sound weird online. We did not lose the sound on the stream. It's just me being quiet for a moment. Trust me, I won't shut up for the next 30 minutes. And so, but let's just take a moment and just again, focus our hearts on what God is doing and celebrate, tell him, Lord, thank you for, and just fill in that sentence. Lord, I'm thankful for this church. I'm thankful for the the relationships and the fellowship of what you're doing in our church. I'm thankful for even the little ones that we hear talking in the room right now, that, Lord, you've brought life into our world in so many ways through uh, the life of our young ones, but, Lord, also life through your cross and through your resurrection. That's a promise that we hold on to with you. And, Lord, I'm thankful that you've given us voices that when all of us sing together, no matter how in tune or out of tune we are, there's something powerful about the voices coming together and finding unity together for your good and for your glory, God, that we raise your name and make much of your name together as the church. And that's a beautiful, beautiful sound. So Father, we're thankful for that. Thankful for this space that we can worship in. Thankful for what you have for us ahead. Thankful for your love for us. And so God, we just give this to you. May your word speak in and through us to reach our community with the gospel from today, Lord. May we know and understand what you've been teaching us through your word over these last months. And may we take that to a different place. May we walk away Way, transformed by the power of your spirit today to make much of your name in our businesses, our homes, our neighborhoods, on the sports field, wherever we go this week, Lord, that we'll shine out just like that, that Matthew verse, that we are lights to the world, that we take your gospel in your name, and Lord, people find hope and life again in a desperate world. So God, we just give that to you and pray that you will just move in us this morning. In your powerful name of Jesus, amen. All right, uh, one little business thing, and then I'll jump into the sermon. Next week, we will be moving outside, and Tara talked about that. But one thing, uh, about a week and a half ago, we shared uh, an email to all of you. Maybe you received or not, but uh, Nathan and Jamie Heemster will be transitioning out of West Wind Church in the next couple weeks. Actually, next week will be Nathan's last week. Uh, We'll be holding on to Jamie. She's going to hang out and help me out a little bit with some communications as we close the ministry year out, which I'm super grateful for. Thanks, Jamie. but we get to celebrate the ministry they've had for four and a half years, I think, is that right, Nate? 
And um, Nate and I came on right around the same time, and so there's like this bittersweet thing a little bit of, like, I'm so excited for what they are moving into, but I'm, I'm sad and, uh, just for uh, to see them go. But Lord, it's just like one of those things where I'm thankful for what the Lord's doing. But know that next week, we get to celebrate both of them and the ministry that they've had here at Western Church. So I say that to be online, be here in person, and come just ready to celebrate the ministry of God through this incredible couple uh, as we go into that. So that's the businessy side. Um, as we move forward, when I was in California, my boss and now a mentor of mine um, that I stay uh, connected through through years, he's one of those guys that, uh, I don't know if you guys have mentors in your world that kind of, when they start speaking to you, you're like, how, how do you know this about me? I haven't even said anything yet. Or and, and how, do you, how can you speak so deeply into who I am? And, and I haven't even shared that with you. You just have this weird, innate thing. My friend Todd has that for me where I can call him and say, hey, I just want some counsel on this, that. And I'll just say like two words. And he'll just start, Jason, blah, 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 blah. And I'm like, who are you? And who have you been talking to that you can speak this kind of truth back into me? And I love it. I hope you all have a mentor like that. Uh, but Todd mentioned something to me one time. He said, Jason, trust your intuition. Your intuition is often, if not always, right. And I was like, well, that's really encouraging to hear. It's, it's nice to know that see, he believes in me in that way. And, but in the back of my head, I'm like, what does that mean? Like, what is the, the intuition that you speak of? What is, what is intuition at all? And what does that really say to how I lead or how I love and people and how I walk with people through life? So intuition is an interesting thing. So let's have a psychology moment uh, over these next few things. And this is totally free. It's, a, it's kind of above and beyond, but attached to the sermon. Uh, just free information for you to go home with and bore all of your friends with useless knowledge. Ready? So intuition is this idea that you have uh, an understanding without having cognitive or reasonable thought happening in the process. And so basically, you have this decision that you've made about something or about something that has been presented to you, and you don't have to take the time to, to think through it to come up with that decision. Does that make sense? This is like intuition for dummies, and so if you go Google something and it's going to be way more in-depth than I'm giving to you, just know that that's true. But, but essentially, God has wired in us the ability to take uh, these moments and these intuitive moments and be able to make decisions pretty quickly. Now, here's something about it that is so cool and how God has created our brains to function. First, uh, there's this thing called a petabyte. It is th basically a theoretical, I guess, because I'm not sure there's really a good way to measure this. But a petabyte is the amount of information your brain can consume and hold. And so imagine your computer. Your computer may have 250 gigabytes of space, of memory that it has, that it can hold all that memory. Now, on your computer, you fill up your space, and you're, and you're done. Like, you can't add anything more to it. You're just over. You've got to find something new to add to that to create more space. So your brain has about a petabyte of information. I won't go into all the details about how many computers that would be up, except for this. A petabyte is roughly consistent with the amount of space the World Wide Web has. So take that into thinking, that in your little brain, which is probably a little bit, I don't know, my brain's pretty small, so um, let's just call it here, right? And this little brain of mine has the capacity of the World Wide Web. I know you've known that for a long time, because every time you guys think of Jason, you're like, man, this guy's so smart. I mean, he can remember everything. Like, this guy's amazing. But it's crazy to think about. Inside that little skull of yours, you've got a worldwide web of information. So the next time you go to Google something, don't say, thanks, Google. Say, thanks, God, because I'm smarter than Google. I'm smarter than Siri, and I'm smarter than Alexa. 
You have more capacity of knowledge and memory consumption than the internet. I think that's really cool. I love that God wired us that way. But the way intuition works is you have all the space in your brain to be able to make some of these intuitive decisions, these decisions that are feeling right on the moment. But it's not that you're just guessing at something. Intuition is a a piecing together of all the files to stay on the computer uh, idea. God has given you the ability to basically take everything, your, all your sensory things, so your sight, sound, touch, feel, uh, touch, feel smell, yeah, whatever. Um, that's that sharp brain working. Isn't that great? Um, but you have all those things, and it's putting all of those files together, and it's kind of categorizing them in your brain. And when you have that intuitive moment, what God has wired your brain to do is basically to take those things, pull all the information that you've already experienced through life, that you've seen some stuff you didn't even realize that you were taking in. Have you ever driven someplace? You get there and you're like, I have no idea how I got here. Anyone? Yeah. Think of that next time you're driving in a traffic. How many people are getting someplace and they have no idea what they're doing? That's that idea of all of those files coming together to be able to create function and movement in, in your physical world. So God does this in your intuition. And how awesome is it that he's given us that ability to take all of those things, your brain's working so fast, to put all those little pieces together that you can make a decision and understand what is happening around you in just a flash of a moment without having to take time to think through it. Now, if you dig into intuition, here's all the fun stuff. Like women said, to have more intuitive nature than men. Yes and no. I think women are probably a little bit more in tune to uh, body language, to emotions, to uh, the feeling of the space, awareness around you. So absolutely credit to you all women. So when husbands, uh, when your spouses say something, my dad has always told me this, um, when your spouse tells you something, you stop and you listen and you do. Like that's the most important thing you might hear that day. And um, through 21 years of marriage, I I found that to be pretty true. And so there's a sense of there's that nature, but man, I think we do have the intuitive nature. Sometimes we just have to open ourselves up a little bit more to be aware, not just so laser focused, I'm going to go get it done and conquer the world. But we all have this in us because that's how God designed us. Here's the problem though. And this is what's going to lead us in what's happening in the passages uh, in Luke 24 today. Our circumstances of our life, oftentimes the difficult things can shroud out how God has wired us to be intuitive in our world. So basically, it takes all of these senses that are really right here in our brain, and you pull a shroud over your head or a hood over your head, that you begin to lose sight of all the things that that God has for you, that that he's with you, that he loves you, that you're a greater understanding of, of what he's doing in you but around you. Your circumstances can shroud that out. Because you get so focused on the shroud and that you can't see or on the sadness or on the, on the difficulty or on the, the suffering that may, you may be going through that you lose the ability to see what is happening right here in front of you. And that's a tough thing to deal with. Because how often, kind of like driving, you start here, you get here, and you're like, I have no idea how, you, how I got here. When you have those circumstances in your life, the struggle, the depression, the sadness, the, the loss, whatever it may be, and that shroud gets pulled over your head and you're so focused on that, that too often times we lose the presence of Jesus. Not that he has gone anywhere. We just have a hard time seeing him or hearing him. And that's exactly what we see in this passage today that I want to draw out from. 
It's a powerful story that is leading up so, uh, to, to his presence in people's lives. And so Luke 24, we're going to start in verse 13. So as you're flipping to that, whether on your phone or in your Bible, whatever it may be, let me set this up. This is happening the day of Jesus' resurrection, later on in the day. What has happened up to this point? Jesus was led to trial three days before. He was crucified, and then he was put in the tomb. Then there was the day in between where not a whole lot happened. And then on this third day, Jesus rose from the, from the dead. That is an account of Mary and, and her friends that went to the tomb to, to take care of the body and got to the tomb and saw the tomb wide open and met an angel who said, he's not here, he is alive. They go back to the rest of the disciples, the apostles, and say, we just came back from the tomb. He's gone. He's alive. He's risen. We met this angel. They told us this truth. And so Peter and John, we heard Pastor Keith preach about this last week, ran to the tomb. And what I love about that passage is that John's telling the story in the book of John. He's always running faster than Peter. <laughs> I just think that's hilarious. Um, but Peter's the first one to go in. John gets there, pauses, hesitates, like, I don't really know. I mean, let's be honest. It's got to be maybe a little bit smelly in there. Like, if I go in there, like, what am I going to see? Maybe he just doesn't like small spaces. Who knows? But finally, John goes in. They both recognize that something is huge has happened. Jesus is alive. His body is gone. They go back to the, to the disciples and they gather together. They kind of hunker down trying to figure all of this out. All of this has happened in Jerusalem. Now Passover is over, everything else. People are starting to head back home from their time of worship of the festivals. And so we catch, capture two people on that journey back to their hometown. So let's start in Luke 24, verse 13. And we're going to go right down through verse 35. That very day, speaking of the day that Jesus rose from the dead, that very day, two of them were going to a village named Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem. And they were talking with each other about all these things that had happened. And while they were talking and discussing together, Jesus himself, not a ghost, not an idea, not a vision, Jesus himself drew near and went with them. But their eyes were kept from recognizing him. And he said to them, what is this conversation that you are holding with each other as you walk? And they stopped and they stood still. I added the word stop for my, uh, my translation, but they stood still looking sad. Then one of them named Cleopas answered him, are you the only visitor to Jerusalem who does not know the things that have happened in there in these days? And he said to them, what things? I'll come back to that because I think that's hilarious. And they said to him, concerning Jesus of Nazareth, a man who was a prophet, mighty in deed and word before God and all the people, and how our chief priests and rulers delivered him up to be condemned to death and crucified him. But we had hoped that he was the one to redeem Israel. Yes, and besides all of this, it is now the third day since these things have happened. Moreover, some women of our company amazed us. They were at the tomb early in the morning, and when they did not find his body, they came back saying that they had seen a vision of the angels. Now, if you look at the story, it doesn't talk about a vision, that they actually spoke with an angel. So there's some, some misunderstanding of what's happening in this. Who, and who said that he, speaking of Jesus, was alive. Some of those who were with us went to the tomb and found it just as the woman had said, but him they did not see. So again, speaking of Jesus. And he said to them, O foolish ones and slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Was it not necessary that the Christ should suffer these things and enter into his glory? 
And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. So they drew near to the village to which they were going. He acted, speaking of Jesus again, he acted as if he were going farther, but they urged him strongly saying, stay with us, for it is toward evening and the day is now far spent. So he went in to stay with them. When he was at the table with them, he took the bread and blessed it and broke it and gave it to them. And their eyes were opened and they recognized him and he vanished from their sight. They said to each other, did not our hearts burn within us while we talked to us on the road, while he opened to us the scriptures? And they rose that same hour and returned to Jerusalem. And they found the 11 and those who were with them gathered together saying, the Lord has risen indeed and he has appeared to Simon. And they told what they had happened on the road and how he was known to them in the breaking of the bread. Okay, this is a really cool story. So I'm just going to kind of reflect on it as I go back through it. So basically these two, two people, Cleopas, and some scholars would say it's probably his, his wife. They're walking back to their hometown, seven miles outside of Jerusalem, kind of talking through everything they'd experienced. It's likely some scholars would believe that Cleopas um, was a disciple maybe of the, of the 72 that had experienced and followed Jesus over the three years. So if that's the case, he probably would have seen maybe the feeding of the 4,000, the feeding of the 5,000, and the blessing of the bread. He may have heard of uh, the, the upper room experience, being with the disciples and understanding what happened in that upper room that night as they shared the story with one another. This is what Jesus said. This is what he did in that upper room. So there's a good idea that Cleopas had and, and his spouse had this idea of what's happening around them. And they're walking back to Emmaus, talking about these things, but, and sad, they're sad. Now, it's interesting that they're sad because just that morning before they left to go home, they had Mary and, and Peter and John say, he is risen, he is alive. They had this story, this firsthand account that, that Jesus was not in the grave anymore. They, they knew the, the prophecies that Jesus gets to later. They understood the scriptures, but they were so focused on something they, that he was going to redeem us, redeem Israel. They were still so focused on what, what they believed that Jesus was here to do, to become a political ruler, to overthrow Rome, to bring back God's kingdom through the nation of Israel. And they kind of get caught up in that. The shroud kind of comes over their head because they are missing the guy who just, the way I read it, just showed up, Right? Just out of the blue, they're walking along, they're having a conversation, and then there's a guy right there, like sneaking up behind them. You know, you walk on a path around you, you have cyclists, it's like, on your left! I don't think Jesus said that. He just started joining in their stride with them. And he started asking them questions. And he, re- he kept them from recognizing him. Now, some of us may think, when I first said, I'm like, well, that's kind of mean. Like, I want Jesus to show himself to me. I ask that all the time. Lord, would you, if you just show up for me, if you just let me see you, that would make my life a whole lot easier. You would take the sadness and the struggle and everything, would just tap on my shoulder and say, Jason, it's Jesus. I'm right here. And show up. So we can think this is a little bit cruel, but the beauty of what's happening here that Jesus is, is unfolding for these folks is that he, he wants to reveal who he is through a process of learning for them. He wants them to understand that through their hardship, through their sadness, through their struggle, that he is still present. 
That in the end, he will reveal himself, but he needs them to understand a few things. He needs to change their perspective. I'm not just going to be overtaking Rome and the world. I want to overtake your heart. And you guys are in a hard place right now. And so I'm going to take time to remove the shroud. I'm not going to shock you into this. I want to bring you to a greater understanding over a period of time, a process of conversation, a process of intimate fellowship, a process of sharing in a meal together. So Jesus isn't being cruel. I think Jesus is actually understanding what they're going through and taking his time as they go through it to reveal himself to them. And getting to the point when they say, are, are you the only person in Jerusalem that doesn't know what's been going on here? It's Jesus. What, what things? There's been stuff going on in Jerusalem? That sounds, I mean, imagine that. Like, Jesus, he must, if you all think that Jesus is always just serious dude who just is always about getting things done and moving things forward and doesn't really have much of a sense of humor, this passage right here should open up his sense of humor to you. What things? Tell me about them. Like, he's Jesus. He just rose from the grave that morning. (laughs) And he's kind of hanging out with these two and saying, I don't, tell me about this stuff but wanting them to say these things out loud, to bring out uh, what they're experiencing and what they know to be true, so that he wasn't just telling them, but he was answering them with understanding where they're coming from. And even to the point um, later on when uh, he gets to verse 28, I'm gonna jump towards this just for a moment, when he's like, all right, well, you guys have a good night. I'm just gonna keep going, like just slowly kind of doing that. Are you gonna invite me in the house yet? Are you going to bring me in? Are you going to invite me in? He kind of made this thing of like, I'll just, you know, I'm just going to keep going. And I love this about Jesus because this does connect to a few other spots in Scripture. Jesus isn't going to tackle you and force you to the ground all the time. He might just wait for you to invite him in. He wants to be there. He wants to have that intimate fellowship with him. But sometimes we have to make a step, say, Jesus, I'm ready. Like, don't go. And, and these two had this burning in their hearts, this thing that they didn't even recognize at this point. They just knew that something was happening. And, and even when it says that they, uh, how does my ESV says it, they urged him strongly. If you really look at the language there, it's like they were tugging on his cloak, pulling at his arms, do not leave us. Come into our home. Be with us. There was something happening in these conversations that they recognized something's different here. Something's shaping and moving amongst us that we need to figure out. And he unfolds for them this whole story of what's going on. And even he speaks directly saying, oh, foolish ones. There's compassion in that word. It's not this direct uh, um, just statement of like, you're so dumb. It's more like, oh, foolish ones, you're missing it. You're slow of heart. You haven't let the truth of who I am sink into the core of who you are, your heart. You've had a lot of this intellectual stuff going on, but you haven't let it really seep into who you are, into your soul. And how? Because you have all the word that you know. You have the words of the prophets. You know of who I am. And I love that this must have been the greatest devotional Bible study of all time on this road in this moment at the space when Jesus just unfolded the prophecies about him from Isaiah, from Daniel, from Zechariah, from the Psalms. These are the truths about the Messiah. 
These are the truths about this one that you, you speak of that has risen from the grave. And he goes on to say, at the, in the beginning with Moses, he starts all the way back. And I was reading through a couple commentaries, and this one guy made a list of these. And I just want to read them to you, because I can imagine if, if this is what Jesus did share, that these are points from Scripture that he drew out, and I think it's powerful. So listen to this list from Moses and on, from the beginning of time through the prophets, of who Jesus is. This is who I am. He is the seed of the woman whose heel was bruised. He is the blessing of Abraham to all nations. He is the high priest after the order of Melchizedek. He is the man who wrestled with Jacob. He is the lion of the tribe of Judah. He is voice from the burning bush. He is the Passover lamb. He is the prophet that is greater than Moses. He is the captain of the Lord's army to Joshua. He is the ultimate kinsman, redeemer, and Ruth. He is the son of David who has a king greater than David. He is the suffering savior, Psalms 22. He is the good shepherd of Psalms 23. He is the wisdom of the Proverbs and the lover of the Song of Solomon. He is the savior described in the prophets and a suffering servant of Isaiah. 53. He is the princely Messiah of Daniel who would establish a kingdom that would never end. He is the Messiah. Imagine that moment standing in that road where they just stood still, sad, and hearing this truth, this message of the scriptures being spoken to you by this man that you yet can't understand who he is. But wow, he speaks with authority. I would have that thing moving in me too. You have that moment where the spirit's moving, and you read the word and something starts churning inside of you. You've ever had that moment? I have a really good friend who used to say, when, when you're trying to figure out if God's speaking, he's got a really good algorithm for that. If it aligns with scripture and you're smarter than you are, God's trying to tell you something. It's as simple as that. I think Cleopas and his, his, his partner, whoever they were, is beginning to feel the presence of Jesus, but yet not understanding. They still have the shroud of their sadness of all the events going, I just don't know what to do with this yet. So they couldn't intuitively go, I think he's the guy. I think this is Jesus. And, and so, but they know something's happening, and so they, they really kind of almost force him into their home. Come, stay with us for the night. Don't go on in your journey. Be here with us. There's something happening here we don't want to miss. And I love this moment as they gather at the table, something that we see all throughout the book of Luke, the power of the meal together, this intimate fellowship together. And Jesus is not the master of the home. He's the guest. And what's really interesting in this moment is that he took the bread. He began the meal. He started the journey. And he broke the bread. And he gave thanks. We have seen Jesus do this before. The feeding of the multitudes. It's exactly, he held it up and he gave thanks. And he fed all of these people miraculously. The last supper, he took the bread and the cup and he broke it and he gave thanks. And he led people to understand who he was. His disciples understand that I am the body that is broken for you. That I am the blood that is shed for you. All of a sudden, their eyes were open. This is the intuitive nature. Through their experience, through their understanding of the word, and through this intimate fellowship with Jesus, they all of a sudden knew we're sitting with Jesus. And here's the crazy thing, he disappears. (laughs) 
Like in that moment, all of a sudden, when Jesus like, Jesus, you're here. You're not. Where'd you go? Jesus. You know, there's this moment, like what they must have felt in that. But they didn't hesitate in the story. As soon as they realized all of this stuff, their demeanor changed. Their shroud was lifted. They ran. I could only imagine, ran back to Jerusalem. It took them a while to get to Emmaus. And they got back to Jerusalem pretty quick. And they came to the disciples in that room. And they said, we have seen him. He is alive. This is true. What you shared is unbelievable. We believe in who he is. Church, here's a few things that I think we can we need to glean from this story. Because I don't know if our story is much different than Cleopas's and his, his, his a journey per partner. Sometimes we get the shroud pulled over us. Sometimes the events of our lives around us stop us from seeing Jesus right there with us. Sometimes we lose sight of what God wants to do over time and then we want him to meet me right here. Take care of this right now. Reveal yourself right in this second, in this moment. And here's the reality. Jesus wants to do more than just show up and change everything for you. He wants you to learn to trust him through the process. He wants you to be to see him revealed through the power of the truths of scripture, to understand his promises that have been given from long before any of us were born. And to see that he's fulfilling those promises, even the promise that is to come in his return again to bring us home, to be in relationship with him for eternity, to be in his presence for eternity. He's revealing that to us. But here's a few things we need to understand. One, we need to understand that the word is incredibly important to this process. We have to be rooted in God's word. This book, this phone, whatever you have, needs to be rooted in your regular life. You can't just expect all of a sudden to open up the page and how many of you all do this? It's like, okay, Lord, I need a word. And you like open up to like Judas went and hung himself. Like that's not the word I want. But we do that all the time. We just expect maybe I can just get this kind of flash in the pan experience of the scripture and it'll give me enough energy to get to the next moment. No, we need to be rooted in God's word. When Jesus was speaking to these two, he went back to the word of God, went back all the way to the beginning and walked them through an understanding. Here's the interesting thing. They already knew this. They already had this teaching and learning. But in these moments, that's not what they were rooting them, standing on in that foundation. We need to be rooted. If we're rooted in that word, no matter what the circumstance, it's gonna change how we process through it. Because if we know who Jesus is in every situation, we'll be able to walk through every situation, every circumstance with confidence in his promise, with strength in his presence. And that's what we desire. But he also did this other thing for us. He, he created moments of intimate fellowship. He came and sat at the table. So church, how often do you take moments of intimate fellowship with Jesus? Do you pause from the journey, from the chaos of all the events around you? You settle down within all the circumstance and you spend time intimately with the Lord. Now that doesn't mean that you're diving into a 10-minute Bible study or you're memorizing all the scriptures. That can be a part of it, but you're just sitting in the presence of Jesus and giving him the control. You're offering him the bread to speak back to you, to give thanks for. You're not bringing, here's my problems, Lord. Here's my stuff, Lord. Here's everything I need. Can you just handle this for me? No, but you're just sitting down in his presence saying, God, I am here with you. How often do we do that? 
In our chaotic world, when we're running around like crazy to catch up with the crazy little moving kids, to to keep up with our jobs and our expectations, to keep up with our plans and our goals for life, none of those things are bad. But if they become the circumstances that we're shrouding ourselves with, are we going to miss the presence of Jesus who is always with us? That was his promise to his disciples. That's coming up, that I will be with you always until the end of the age. But if we miss those moments of intimacy with Jesus, will we miss the moments where our eyes are opened up in the midst of our circumstance to understand his presence with us? That is a powerful and difficult thing to wrestle with because too oftentimes the word becomes secondary to our schedule. Too oftentimes spending intimate fellowship with Jesus becomes even secondary to the secondary. It feels odd, it feels weird, Because you sit down and it just takes a while to slow everything down and to be present with the presence of God. I'll tell a lot of people all the time, I need about an hour, an hour of walking or just getting out there just to get my brain down, slow down enough to get all the stuff out so that I can pause and I can stop in the middle of the road and begin to hear Jesus speak. One hour. And that's just prep time. That's not Jesus' time. That's me. Are we forging that kind of time into our lives? Are we putting the word so much so in our lives that we understand the truth when we walk into the circumstance? Are we uh, supporting the idea that, hey, um, I can make it through anything? Philippians, that we can do all things, all things with God. He's got our backs to those things. And these two, as they're going through this journey, as they're experiencing this, as they've seen this horrific event, the crucifixion of Jesus, as they've heard of his resurrection, they're struggling to get through it. These two aren't any different than most of us. We have these moments in our circumstances that have pulled the shroud over, but intimacy with Jesus, rooting in his word, the shroud will be lifted and you'll see Jesus in your life. But just like Jesus was like, I'm going to keep going forward. Are you going to invite me in? Church, are we going to invite him in? Are we going to invite him to a place that he will change us and transform our understanding of who he is, that he is present in all things? I'm going to have to ask the worship team to come back up here. And as they do, I want to focus on this other thing, this one verse in verse 32 that is so powerful and is my prayer for us as a church, did not our hearts burn within us while we talked to us, while he talked to us on the road? Church, I want our hearts to burn for Jesus. I want every one of us to experience the presence of Jesus in such a powerful way that when we come out of Easter, it's not just one really good Sunday of the year, but that is something we walk through every day of our life, that we celebrate the resurrection, that power of Jesus in our lives. That we say, I'm gonna root myself so in the word because I never wanna miss this again. I'm gonna take time, so much so in my life, to give my, my moments of being present in an intimate fellowship with Jesus because I never want to miss his presence again. I recognize circumstances are going to happen. Hard things are going to happen. Amen? Like, it's just going to come. Even when you feel like, I'm there, I've got it covered, my life is kind of moving around, and all of a sudden, it's like that. You never see circumstance coming most of the time. 
So even more important that we root in his word and we root in his presence so when it does come, we don't let the shroud get pulled over our head. That we don't miss the power of Jesus in our lives. That we ask, Lord, I want you to burn in my soul in every moment of every day of my life. And I want to walk with you. I want to sit with you. I want to recognize that you are good and that you love me that you're always with me. God starts to move. Things can slow down for all of you that think life is moving at a too crazy of a pace. But we need to invite him in. And the last thing in this fair as we go into this worship song, verse 34 and 33, they rose that same hour. They didn't wait when Jesus, poof, disappeared, they didn't wait. They got up and they went back to Jerusalem to proclaim the good news that our Messiah has risen, that Jesus is alive. That intimate moment with Jesus, that intimacy with his word is a, a natural reaction to that is to go and tell others about it. It's not to sit in our little moment and feel all warm and fuzzy with Jesus. But that move, that moment moves us to make much of his name and his glory to the world. To tell others about his crucifixion and his resurrection. That they can have hope in the power and the presence of Jesus in their lives. That it is true. And we can go back over all the world, the word from the beginning and unfold that for them. The promises of God for them because we understand the promises of God for us. Cleopas and his walking partner, they weren't the big time apostles. They weren't of the 12. This is the only time you'll ever hear about them in scripture. Jesus even meets with those who may come across as lowly in comparison. He's not about the big and the big leaders, the Billy Grahams of the world, and that's all he spends time with. He finds those, the most humble of those, the most needing of those, and he meets with you. No one's left out beautiful thing. Let's just stand. Let's prepare our hearts for worship, Lord. I had to ask that in this moment, Lord, as we walk along through your word, as, just as these two, Lord, that in this moment, we will not miss your presence with us. Lord, that in this moment, we all bring something, some kind of circumstance, I believe, in this moment. And Lord, you want to meet us in that circumstance. Lord, may your truth and may your words and may our, our understanding of our knowledge and experience with you up to this moment change us right now. May we be open. See your face. Jesus, show yourself to us right now as we continue to worship you. Show yourself to us.